This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I am joined by my equity mate, Ren. How's it going? I'm very good, Bryce. I am excited for this episode, as always. Yes. We're going to be talking about the, I guess, the biggest story in Australia at the moment. Well, one of the biggest stories, uh, which is the... You're growing hair. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, Facebook and Google fight with uh, the Australian government and News Corp and the nine newspapers. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the politics. No. Although, I might... Slip a comment or two in. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you do want to hear a, a more detailed conversation, head over to comedian the economist because the boys have been for yeah, it, yeah. have been um, unpacking it a bit more. Uh, so yeah, head over there and, and check it out. Honest, but, honestly, those uh, Adam and Thomas are, are firing on all cylinders. They are at the firing moment. on all cylinders. Uh, yeah, producing some great content. Yeah, um, great to see. Uh, killing it in the charts. Yes. Yeah. Killing um, in the charts. I mean, yeah. It, anyway, it's worth going to. To, to listen to so look um, if, if you're not listening you should be listening yes it's really all, all we're gonna say but in this episode ren you're right we're gonna touch on the facebook saga and then gonna bring back on one of our favorite guests which yeah. was uh nick griffin from munro partners uh will be joining us in the second half of this conversation because he also has some big news around facebook uh, and uh also the mate fund. <laughs> yeah, which we uh, we might be uh, claiming some copyright over. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yeah, no. So excited um, for that convo. I mean, we don't have to keep it in suspense. I think uh, so people know what we're going to be talking to them about. Um, they recently, so they invested in Facebook at Facebook's IPO in 2012. Um, and they've recently sold their whole position in Facebook. Mm. Um, so we unpack why Nick's done that, what he thinks, um, the reasons why 
you know, there are better opportunities out there and also what would make him, uh, what would have to change for him to buy back into Facebook. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about this whole saga. Sure. The business side. Yeah. Uh, the biggest business impact, we got banned I know. from Facebook. Got banned, <laughs> couldn't post any links. Uh, look, I'm... I'm I'm glad that we obviously big enough in the eyes of Facebook to cut our media presence yeah, in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, taking it up to the likes of uh, Murdoch and Co. But yeah, look, we were banned at time of recording. We are still banned, but there has also been news that Facebook are going to uh, soften their approach after signing some sort of agreement with the government and let us back on. So, well, I was I was looking at the we're we're big enough. I'm pretty sure to negotiate with Facebook and Google like the th- we're, we're above the threshold really yeah I, I'm pretty sure get it's, Zuck on the phone I'm pretty sure it's 150k turnover in Australia okay Um, and so does that mean we get to go and negotiate with them I have no idea I'll be driving a hard bargain <laughs> <laughs> A hard bargain with Zuckerberg, as uh, Josh Frydenberg yeah. called him. <laughs> anyway, let's keep moving. So, the the business side of this, um, obviously, Facebook and Google both threatened to pull out. Uh, Google has backed down from that threat. Facebook has come to an arrangement. But I wanted to start this conversation by putting some putting some numbers to it. Because at first glance, from a business perspective, if you put your... Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Facebook COO hat on. The the decision may come ac- across as quite strange that you, you're willing to do this. So, Facebook ad revenue in Australia in 2019, $674 million. Peanuts. Well, yeah, compared to Google. Google's search ad revenue in Australia in 2019, $4.3 billion. Wow. And... I'm pretty sure under the code, the Australian uh, Media Bargaining Code, the penalty for like not engaging in negotiations was $10 million. I think the estimates thrown around that uh, you know, they'd be paying News Corp on the nine newspapers in the double-digit millions, you know, like the $30 million mark or something, something along those lines. Um, why would, let's say you're Sheryl Sandberg, why would you sacrifice $674 million in ad revenue because the government is making you pay, call it $30 million to Australian publishers? Well, you wouldn't if I had the hat on. Really? Yeah, I don't so think then so. Why, but then why did, why did they do it? Because they think they're the kings of, in the playground. Oh, and, you reckon this is just they, a game of brinksmanship? Yeah, I think they've probably for so long been able to get what they want from government, manipulate. I mean, you know, they've been so they've been so unregulated for so long in probably many aspects of their business that this is just another example of them trying to uh, force others' hands. But uh, in this instance, Zuckerberg got zucked by Frydenberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, the, the only answer that I can come to is... Well, there, there's two answers. The first is... Um, the precedent for the rest of the world. So, you know, if they're, they're having to pay, call it 5% of their advertising revenue to news publishers in Australia, 30 million of 600 million, um, then it's like to, to other, uh, definitely other jurisdictions are taking note and, and they're probably worried about the precedent. And so from a business perspective, you say, well, we're not going to let it happen anywhere. The, the, second, the second thing, and 
Look, Facebook isn't a very sympathetic company and I don't have a lot of sympathy for a lot of what they do, but I kind of do have some sympathy for them here. A little bit different to Google. So let's talk about Facebook first. Like Facebook's whole thing is they amplify reach of all these organizations. They're not taking this content, transposing it, posting it on their site and not like driving traffic to these news publishers. Their whole thing is they they increase the reach of these news publishers and it's like, why are you now charging us to increase your reach? It's it's like double dipping. Yeah, but we know where it's coming from and this is going to turn into a political debate. (laughs) So, let's not go there. But yeah, you're right. Um, But look, if uh, obviously the government think that they can make a bit of money from it and have been pressured to do so. Yeah, the government won't make any money from it. (laughs) Yeah, the the news agencies themselves will. But... uh, Anyway, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. And the whole... And this is going to be my one political point for the thing. And I don't think it's even you that have political. 30 seconds. It's a business point still. The, the whole thing around um, Facebook and Google have killed the news business. Like, it's true that they own the digital marketing space. But the news business's business model was classifieds. Like, classifieds were the rivers of gold that just, you know, you... You sold ads and you attached a paper to it. Like, you, you the paper was there to increased circulation and then you made your money from classifieds yeah facebook and google didn't kill the classifieds business it was realestate.com.au car sales.com gumtree like they they came for the classifieds well before uh google and facebook dominated it that so that's that's my 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 <laughs> one point point taken still, still valid point, point. <laughs> um like it, it's a little bit different for for when it comes to google like google extract text from publishers and you know how they yeah. give you that answer in the search yeah it's a little bit different there it's like they're actually taking some someone else's work putting it on the site not driving the click throughs yeah. and so i can kind of understand that that it feels like there's a nuance that's a little a little bit missed when facebook and google are lumped together in that in that space um now i'm going to get you to put uh rupert murdoch's hat on yes uh stoked <laughs> <laughs> you now run the world yeah <laughs> um News Corp's global newspaper revenue in 2020, uh, $2.8 billion. And then, so that's like their all their newspapers, like Wall Street Journal and stuff included. $2.8 billion, down 18% from the previous year. Mm. Well, if you're Rupert Murdoch, you're seeing your newspaper business slowly withering on the vine. You can understand why you're banging on the government's door and trying to find a sympathetic ear to get oh, Absolutely. To, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, with his hat on, I'm not, I'm not relenting. I've wanted this for years. Yeah. I've found a, a politician who's going to back me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, 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 what is he going to make from it? 40 or 50 million from potentially the deals that he strikes. It's not, it's not going to be the 18% that he fell no, last well, that's year. that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. This isn't going to save his no, newspapers. No, he's, he's clawing back at, at, at pennies really compared, yeah. compared to what he's making. But uh, again, probably a power play just as much from, from him than anything. And um, yeah, sorry, Rupert, but I, I don't think it's going to, to save uh, the, the decline if it continues in this way. Yeah. Uh, the story is that I think the first time Murdoch brought this up with Zuckerberg was 2013. Gee. Like he has wanted this for years yeah. and he's just finally found a government that either is sympathetic enough to him or ideologically agrees. Let's not uh, let's not wade too too deep in those waters. But um, yeah, eight years of lobbying. Finally, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you 
from an investment perspective, what does this change? Like, if Google and Facebook have to pay, um, how do you? And let's let's assume that that other jurisdictions follow suit. How does this make you think about? Let's just talk about the three companies: Facebook, Google, and News Corp. Does it make you think about any of them differently? Does it change your investment case for any of them? It, it doesn't for News Corp for me. I don't think um, you you being a big shareholder already. <laughs> no, <laughs> not being a shareholder at all. Um, I don't think it changes anything for me in terms of of News Corp, unless somehow all governments around the world start implementing this and it really does start driving serious revenue back to News Corp. But again, um, that's a very long play, I would imagine. Uh, In terms of of Google, uh, you know, you look at the the revenue that they're making here in Australia alone uh, versus what they have agreed to pay. It's, again, just a tiny percentage of total revenue and and given all the other... uh, fingers in pies that Google have be, or Alphabet have beyond just their uh, ad revenue business um, doesn't really change the thesis for me. Uh, Facebook, I am not invested in and I don't intend to. Does it really change the way I think about it? You know, potentially, but for more reasons than just this, I think the, the platform itself, uh, I think, you know, is becoming more unloved for, for not just this reason. So there's there's bigger things at play for me with Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Like Google is Google. Google's a scary company. Yeah, there's just yeah, scary good or scary bad depending on what business you're in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Facebook for me, the the interesting thing is like, let's say, is news the first? Like pe- they they make people pay for news. Uh, sorry, they make Facebook pay for news. Do other like other content creators who have their content shared? Are they like you know like big influencers or like I don't know, big YouTubers or something, are they like, well, oh, YouTube's different because you still get ads if you watch it through Facebook. But I don't know. It's like it, it, if Facebook have to pay for content, their business model is shot. Yeah. And and there's a bunch of other content that's shared on Facebook that who knows, like maybe that we say there's an intrinsic value in some of this other content being mm. created. And yeah, uh, Facebook the one for, is the one for me. I understand why they took the stance they did. If you're a YouTuber, though, you probably don't have the same political power as uh, Murdoch. So I you, don't know. You never know, though. P- PewDiePie you might have the uh, the lobbying arm that uh, Murdoch does. Or maybe we start a, a union of all uh, online influencers and, and push that way. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think for me, none of the none of the investment cases really changed. Like News Corp is as a newspaper. The newspaper business is dying. When's the last time you bought a newspaper? Yeah, a while ago. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that really says it all. I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot more to be said. You you know my whole stance on the news business itself. There, the news business isn't dying. The newspaper business yeah. is dying, and yeah. there are some media organisations around the world that have realised that and are building a business model that will last. At this stage, it doesn't feel like News Corp is one of them. No. Well, that is our two cents on the whole situation. Uh, as we said at the start of the show, we are going to hear from Nick Griffin, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Munro Partners, on his thoughts on Facebook. And uh, we also dive into a couple of other interesting stocks. Quote, uh, one of them is the most important company in the world that no one has ever heard of. Mm, so, uh, equity, mates. We will, we will jump into that straight after this break where we'll hear from our sponsors. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Equity Mates, we're now joined by Nick Griffin, the Chief Investment Officer at Munro Partners. Uh, we had Nick on the show last year. Yeah, uh, we loved it so much that uh, we brought him back. And Nick, well, Nick, first of all, thanks for joining us. No, well, thanks for having us, guys. Always good to be here. Now, Nick, uh, the the we've just uh, spoken a little bit about the you know the media bargaining code and the the Facebook and the the Google policy response and how that's all playing out. Um, the reason we've got you on the line is you've uh, recently made a move around Facebook uh, in your fund. Um, can you can you tell us uh, what you've done? Yeah, so we, look, we've been investors in Facebook since the IPO, so oh, that's geez. nearly ten, 10 years now. <laughs> um, and it's been a really bumpy ride and, you know, so, so had been a big holding and a medium holding and a even a non-holding briefly, but generally been a big investor. But but it really wasn't around this specific issue. It's well, we've we we bought Facebook because we saw it as a big beneficiary of mobile advertising uh, back in 2012. Um, and at the time, digital advertising was very small. Uh, digital advertising is now very big. So you're basically more than 50% of all advertising is now digital. Uh, Facebook and Google control the lion's share of that. Um, and so this structural shift from traditional advertising to digital advertising is is eventually going to come to an end. Um, and so from that point of view, while we still like Facebook a lot um, and the mass still adds up and we think they'll pivot into e-commerce and we think they'll pivot into messaging, we just think that, you know, most of the upside here has been had. And from that point of view, it's gone up nearly 10 times since its IPO and, and, and we just found a better use for the cash elsewhere. The last thing we just said about Facebook is obviously – they, the skirmish they're fighting here in Australia is similar to skirmishes they're fighting all over the world, um, and and from our point of view, we just felt that um, we felt that that would weigh on the stock price in the next twelve months. So if you know twelve months time, you know a lot of these skirmishes have sort of finished, we, you you could easily see us come back at some point. But for now, we have we have moved on. Yeah. So on that point about the multiple skirmishes, I think you wrote uh, recently that this uh, battle over the Australian media code is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, for people who may not be familiar with the depth of the iceberg, can you, can you explain what you mean by that and uh, some of you know, these other skirmishes that, uh, that Facebook are fighting that had you worried? 
Yeah, so, so to be clear, I didn't actually come up with the tip of the iceberg, the Jan Larkin. Um, <laughs> I, I really pointed out they're having a lot of skirmishes. But, I mean, I think the big problem Facebook has, and I think, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg summed it up best himself. You know, he only really invented this business 15 years ago, and it was designed to connect friends and family around the world and keep people updated. That's what we all joined Facebook for. Um, but it's evolved into this thing that influences election, that promotes to a certain extent, allows people to promote hate speech and, and, and fake news. And, and so it's become this problem in the, in the world, particularly for the political establishment. And, and so from that point of view, you, you don't get politicians to agree on much, uh, but they all agree that Facebook is an issue. Um, and so we're going to see this continual trying to move Facebook more to being more a traditional media company, more to being you know, liable for what's on their platform. And as they do that, you know, it becomes potentially a, a less useful platform for, for people and advertisers out there. And so from that point of view, they need to sort of solve that issue. And it's, it's a very complicated one to solve. The, the political and regulatory concerns for Facebook, you know, this isn't the first time that this has been happening. Um, the heat's been on them since sort of 2016. And I remember a pretty significant drop in the share price um, around that time or perhaps 2018. Um but since then, the share price has sort of shot up 150% or thereabouts. What, what is different um, in, you know, now, in 2021, compared to that sort of 2016 stage? Um, yeah, well, firstly, the share price is much higher. So, so the business is much <laughs> True, true. Um, so, so, so valuation is very important here. Uh, and while the stock may look cheap, you know, it's, it's obviously much bigger. So it's much further along that S-curve of digital advertising adoption. Um, Facebook's still doing lots of things right, okay? So it's a champion of small business. It, um, it is helping them move into e-commerce. It's pivoting into e-commerce, et cetera. So all these things it's doing is still doing right. We still expect its earnings and revenue to grow into the future. Uh, but big advertisers don't want to advertise on the platform because of this, this issue around what the content that's on the platform. And users are slowly getting turned off the platform. And so this is sort of this this dead end street they're going down that they sort of need to solve somehow to to, to make the platform viable or, you know, relevant into the future. Um, and so they need to solve that problem. And I think when they do and the big advertisers come back um, and the usage numbers start coming back, then then we'll be much interested in the stock. And if they, if they don't, then then we just think we, it's, it'll be what we would call, you know, dead money for a little while where, where I, the money is probably better used elsewhere. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, it's something that I often, uh, well, I guess, struggle with or try to figure out when I'm thinking about, you know, investing for the long term and stuff like that. Is what what's like short term news and and then what's like, uh, well, sh- yeah, short term noise and what's long term signal in a lot of these things. And you know, y- you're right. There's so many skirmishes Facebook are fighting at the moment. The the antitrust threats in the US, media bargaining codes in Australia, you know, the European regulators are looking at them. Um, they seems to they seem to be stretched. I imagine it's not fun being a Facebook executive right now. But at the same at the same time, you know, you, you started this conversation talking about the ad duopoly that Google and Facebook have. Do you do you think that at the end of the day, if all these if Facebook lose some of these skirmishes, that affects that that structural advantage that Google and Facebook, well, in this case, Facebook has in the ads market? Or, or do you think that whatever happens, that dominance will, will remain? I think there'll always be a need for Facebook, particularly for small businesses, because its ability to target 
you know, local areas is incredibly good. So you might have noticed, like, in the recent council elections, you got the councillors advertising to you on Facebook because they can target the, the, the suburb you live in. So there will always be a need for it. It'll always be around. Um, I suppose from our point of view, I'll give you an example, and, and so I'm not going to say we're right here. Um, you know, we sold all our Apple back in 2016 because we were of the view that they would never sell any more iPhones, and, and we were right when they didn't. Um, but 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 the reality is they started selling lots of other stuff and, and app businesses, et cetera. So there's no reason to believe that Facebook won't be able to solve this pivot, but we do think, you know, the traditional advertising on their platform will slow. They're going to try and pivot to messaging and e-commerce. Um, but as I said, you know, when we sold our Apple, you know, we were looking at new things coming along. And I just think in this case, there are, you know, if you look at some of the emerging social advertising platforms, whether it's Pinterest or or, or even Snaps making a good comeback, or even some of these um, short-form video businesses in China, you know, there's, uh, there's other companies that are now taking share from the guys that took all the share. So... So they're the ones that are going to grow faster, and so they're the ones we're probably a bit more interested in right now. Yeah, Bryce uh, did a bit of a uh, deep dive on TikTok's advertising engine and just spoke glowingly about uh, the the way that it worked and the way that you could get you could target specific influencers and stuff like that. So they're obviously um, making a big play in that space and obviously trying to challenge you know some of these other social platforms' dominance. And what what Facebook is also you know the recent um, shutdown of all media outlets us inclusive yeah, we yeah. got we got <laughs> shut down it's just uh, highlighted I think to a lot of small businesses um, how important it is from a business strategy not to build your business entirely around a Facebook platform because should they make a snap decision again then your business is gone so um, yeah we're certainly the only reason we're on Facebook is because of equity mates I mean. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, but but don't but don't forget they still got Instagram and WhatsApp. They've well, that, still got that, a lot of tricks up their sleeve. Yeah, I'm that not, leads. We're not, we're not calling time on Facebook. We're just saying we've found better uses for the money. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've probably just answered the next question, which was around the dominance of Instagram, WhatsApp. You know, they still have um, growth in the VR and AR space, e-commerce. So, um, you know, you've obviously thought about balancing those competing growth pro- profiles with um, Facebook more broadly. And, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, 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 again, I just, I just, you know, as a growth investor, you're trying to find things at the start of the adoption curve, um, not not at the end or, or in the middle. Um, and, and we still, as I said, we still think that Facebook has a lot of levers it can pull. It just has this problem that they – they, they feel like they don't want to be the arbiter of truth on their platform. And that's making their platforms less and less attractive to people over time. And if they do become the arbiter of truth, then they become just like any other media company. Um, and so then that will create competition. Uh, so whichever way they turn here, they, they've got a problem. Um, and that, from our point of view, is something we'd like, to, we're not sure, I'm not sure how they solve it, but I'm sure they will, they're thinking about it really hard because they're smart guys. And and if they do, then we'll, then we'll come back. It's clear in this conversation you haven't completely written Facebook off. You've said a couple of times that um, you know there there would be circumstances under which you re-added Facebook to the portfolio. So I'm interested to know what your process and what the team at Munro's process is to watch a stock like this going forward. Are there any sort of key indicators or you know key skirmishes you're watching? What's um What's the process to keep an eye on it, and maybe what are some of the conditions under which you would uh, you would consider putting it back in the portfolio? 
Yeah, so we had a conversation sort of before we started about the you know the retail investing that's come into the marketplace and 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 how you know ultimately this is a great thing. Um, it's great that retail investors are coming in and you know saying this stock's going to win or this stock looks good, etc. Um, the only thing we're doing on top of what you know a lot of your listeners were doing is we're just doing very detailed valuation work. Um, so we're doing very detailed valuation on, for instance, in Facebook's case, the total advertising market. Okay, so if you knew the total advertising market in the world is roughly six hundred billion dollars, and you knew that fifty percent of it had gone digital, then it can only go one hundred percent digital, right? So, so eventually, you know, their penetration of advertising markets is going to slow. Uh, so that would be priced into our model, but then they might pick up e-commerce and other stuff. So that would be priced into our model. And so what we'll essentially come up with is an earnings forecast. Uh, we'll come up with a multiple that we think it should trade at, and then we'll come up with a risk reward as to whether we think we should buy it here or not. But knowing full well that Facebook eventually, eventually will just be a GDP growing company because eventually it just gets so big it has to be. And so then, then it's a case of, okay, well, if this is eventually going to be a GDP growing company, why don't we then move on and try and find something closer to the start? Because that's where you're more likely to find that that misvaluation whereby people are just not prepared to put those numbers in their model and to realise what a company could actually be worth in the long run. And it's those opportunities when we talk about things like HelloFresh or when we talk about things like PayPal or when we talk about things like um, you know Netflix even that are still actually closer to the start or Spotify than the end. And so we just see a slightly better opportunity there uh, versus what the share price is trading at in the market. It's funny you mentioned that JDP growing uh, company comment. Um, the, the thing that uh, it feels like is becoming more and more apparent with some of these tech companies is the the biggest ones, you know, the Microsoft, the Apples and stuff like that, just build tremendous operating leverage into their, um, into their businesses, more Microsoft than Apple. But um, they just use that cash to then build or acquire the next stage of growth. And, you know, Microsoft has been, Microsoft and Apple have been around for 30 plus years and yet they're still putting incredible growth rates on the board. Like, is there something different about these tech companies compared to, you know, the giants of yesteryear, the Walmarts and the Exxons and stuff like that, where because it's tech and because tech is different, they just somehow resist the idea that they'll ever be GDP growing companies? Yes, it's a great question. Um, and so, so what? So let's go back to the Apple example. What did we get wrong um, when we sold it? We were like, it's a physical company selling hardware, um, and we know that they, you won't sell any more iPhones. About two hundred million a year is the most you can sell um, if you're a twenty percent share of the market. And that's what happened. But what they did is they broke out of their TAM, so to speak. So they broke out of their total addressable market. And they moved into payments, they moved into wearables, they moved into app store revenues, et cetera. And so, and when we sold it, it's since put on another 100%. Um, but we did make nearly seven times our money on it. So we're still happy. But it could have been 14, right? Um, so, what these tech companies are doing that a physical company can't do, back to that Apple example, is because their businesses are digital they can grow outside their TAN, if that makes sense. So, so Microsoft used to be a piece of software that someone would come and install on your computer. Um, now it's – and every second or third Windows version, you'd skip it. Um, now it's in the cloud. Uh, it updates 
every week as far as my computer does. Um, and, you know, the price rises grow in and you don't even notice. You know, you get an email at 2 o'clock in the morning saying your price just went up. <laughs> um, and that's a pretty good business model. And so so what that means is they they grow without borders because they're digital, so they grow beyond their, beyond their TAM. And not only that, they move into all these new areas or, as you point out, they buy new areas, if that makes sense. And so a digital company can do this, but a physical company can't because a physical company has to keep building new stores or it has to keep selling more cars or it has to keep going to last places. The last way we always try to point this out, and this is why people get excited by digital companies, and we do too, but it's not the only thing we do. But the last best example of this in the last few years is, you know, six years ago, Netflix in Australia didn't exist. Now more than 50% of households have a Netflix subscription. Yet I challenge anybody anywhere to have actually ever met anyone from Netflix who came and sold them their Netflix subscription. Like, you know, the guy didn't come and knock on your door. You didn't go to the shop. Um, that's what a digital business can do that a physical business down. And that's why not only they can dominate their, their, their areas, but they can move into other areas by using the data that they have from the existing areas, et cetera. And, and, and Facebook's no different to the rest of them. They're all doing the same thing. Uh, Facebook just has this unique problem where not very many people like them at the moment and uh, and, and that's um you know making their business model a bit more difficult so you've mentioned um putting your your money to better use which was one of the reasons for for getting out of facebook which kind of leads nicely into uh, the conversation around the uh munro global growth fund uh etf which is ticker is M A E T, mate. I think last time we spoke, Nick, in November, it had just launched or was about to launch. Um, yep, yep. Correct. So uh, let's just sort of recap why the move to an ETF sort of from, from a private fund. Yeah, so, so from our point of view, Munro Partners was built to be your global growth investor, okay? So we've spent most of the last this podcast and the last one you know, talking about how do you find that concentrated portfolio of great growth stocks, okay? So we know that equities is a game of very few winners and thousands of losers. You know, we just discussed a few winners, but remember along the way, they, they steamrolled a whole bunch of losers. Uh, you can't grow at the rates they're growing at if the whole world's only growing at 3%. Someone has to be losing. Um, and so from that point of view, at Monroe Partners, we want to be your global growth fund. So we're building very concentrated portfolio of 30 to 50 ideas all around the world that we think have the potential to be great growth companies or are already great growth companies that are still executing on their on their on their opportunities. Um, and so all mate is 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 effectively a feeder fund to the fund that we're running privately. So the beauty of what mate does or MAET does is that anybody listening to this podcast can turn around and buy it on the Australian Stock Exchange today. And, and tomorrow they're going to wake up exposed to South Korean battery makers, uh, Taiwanese semiconductor foundries, um, Dutch lithography companies, American software companies, uh, South American e-commerce companies. You know, those are some of the names that are in the fund today um, because we think they're the best ideas. And all that valuation work, et cetera, we've done it. And so it just becomes effectively it will track the fund and then – you could all be, you, you wake up and you own them and then and then in maybe six months or a year's time, if you don't want to own them anymore, you can just sell it on the exchange and get your money back. And so it's, it's just a very transparent, easy way to get access to our top ideas in the world today. So speaking of some of your top ideas in the world, would love to know some of the companies that you're most excited about. Maybe maybe some that 
we wouldn't be so familiar with as yeah, the, well. Yeah, the Dutch Lithog, whatever that <laughs> was. <laughs> but um, we we actually, uh, an equity mate sent us a video yesterday of you talking about PayPal. And I, I believe um, your quote was, uh, PayPal is the number one fintech in the world. So maybe if you can uh, talk a bit about why you love PayPal and then maybe tell us some of the other stocks that you're particularly excited about. Yeah, okay. So PayPal, um, I think most people on the call will be familiar with it. Um, they've probably got a PayPal account or they've got an Afterpay account or they've got a, a ZipPay account. Um, there are lots of fintechs in the world uh, and they're all doing the same thing, um, which is they're disintermediating banks. Um, and so banks, you know, have this huge pool of revenue uh, where they effectively overcharge for lots of things, whether it's foreign currency transactions, whether it's merchant acquiring, whether it's home loans, uh, whether it's deposits. Um, and, and all the fintechs do is take that away. And, and the beauty of what the fintechs do as opposed to what I said earlier is banks basically rely on a physical presence. So they rely on a branch and they rely on their country of origin. Um, and that was really helpful when you used to go to bank branches or you used to walk around with cash. Uh, but now that that's gone, because cash is gone, and now you don't attend a bank branch anymore, then there's really no reason why you have to bank with an Australian bank. And so what PayPal's opportunity is, is as a very big fintech, mainly in e-commerce at the moment and payday lending, et cetera, so small stuff, once cash disappears completely, and it will, um, this opens up all these opportunities for them. Uh, obviously, the digital currency like Bitcoin is, is, is transactions is one of the big areas that people are focused on, but it also allows them to move into lending and all these other digital finance initiatives. And so then you just do the simple mass and go, well, PayPal's a really big company today. It's $300 billion. Uh, but that's tiny when you compare it to the opportunity set that they have. Uh, and they've already come out just a few weeks ago and said they expect their revenues to double in the next five years. Wow. And we think that's, we think that's conservative. Um, and so when you think about PayPal at 300 billion versus Facebook at 800 or, or Apple at 2 trillion, there's just a really good opportunity, a really good runway in front of this company for it to basically join that trillion dollar club over time. Uh, and that's why we like it. Speaking of uh, Bitcoin, uh, can't finish an interview without sort of getting your thoughts on what is going on in that space or, or crypto more broadly. Is it something that you guys are, are looking at? Are you going to do an Elon Musk and put some on the balance sheet? <laughs> what's what's your views on, on what's going on in the crypto market at the moment? Uh, yeah, so, so, so the concept of a digital currency to me or to us makes perfect sense, okay? So... So inevitably, if you if you think about what I just said, if cash disappears and currency becomes digital, then you're just waving your phone wherever you go in the world, if that makes sense. And so this concept of having, you know, Australian dollars, New Zealand dollars, Japanese yen doesn't make a ton of sense um, because, you, you you know, you can have a digital currency that, that dominates them all. Uh, so that concept, I don't have a problem with at all. Um, right now, Bitcoin has these issues around the wallet. It's not very usable. Um, et cetera, et cetera, um, that I'm sure a lot of people on the call, you know, understand, but they've conquered for themselves. But, you know, I'm pretty sure they're not waving their phone and buying a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is technology can solve that um, over time because we know computers get faster. Um, and that's what the lithography company in Holland does, by the way. It helps computers get faster. Um, but that's what Moore's law does. It accelerates compute power. So we know computers get faster. So we know that this will get solved. So there will be a digital currency of some description at some point. Um, I don't know which one it is. It's probably going to be Bitcoin. Um, and all people are doing is, is buying that today because they see that it has a use in the future. Mm. Um, 
I completely get that. It's not something we've done in the fund, mainly because of these custody and wallet issues, et cetera. I can see why people would put a small portion of their wealth in it, uh, but I would treat it like, you know, same as gold. If, you know, if you have a small portion of your wealth in gold, you, you could have a small portion of your wealth in Bitcoin. That would make sense to me because it's reasonably clear that something like this is going to happen over the next couple of decades. And all you're doing in Bitcoin is picking that as the digital currency. It might be one of the other ones. Now, Nick, we've mentioned, well, you've mentioned a Dutch lithography company a couple of times. I feel like we've got to ask for the name of the company. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, this, you know, I hope you've got a few minutes left. We um, so, so we might melt a few people's heads here, but basically <laughs> every semiconductor in the world over the last, the reason why all of this is happening around digitalization is because semiconductors get better. Computers get faster. Okay. So we've all lived through this. So, so in 1970, you invent the first um, microchip. It has roughly 2000 transistors on it. Today, NVIDIA has the A100. It's the fastest microchip in the world, or it's actually a graphics process in the world, it has 54 billion transistors on it, okay? And so what happens is every two years, they manage to double the number of transistors on a chip um, and half the price. And that's that's called Moore's Law, effectively. And so so you and I, we've all lived through this. So, so I can remember when the internet first came along, it could only do one thing. It could send an email. That was all it could do. And I was in a backpackers in South America in 1996 saying, send me more money, please. <laughs> that's, the, that, that, that's, all, that's all it could do. Uh, but as computers get faster, the internet gets faster. As the internet gets faster, it does more things. So eventually it does search. That takes away the yellow pages. Eventually you can share pictures on it. That creates Facebook. Eventually you can stream movies. That creates Netflix. Eventually it does software that, that reignites Microsoft and Amazon in the cloud, it does e-commerce, it does video games, it's now doing software. Finally, we're at peer-to-peer, right? So I can order a cab or an Uber, the Uber pulls up, I see it's there, I get in, I drive somewhere, I get out, and the payment all happens without me touching anything, right? That's all happening because computers get faster, okay? Now, eventually, the shrink stops. Eventually, you can't fit any more transistors on the semiconductor. Um, and it's really, really hard to do. Um, and so you've got to the point now where there's actually only one company in the world that can build the stencil that allows the shrink to continue, and it's called ASML, and it's in Holland. And we call it the most important company in the world that no one's ever heard of. Um, and they build a machine called the EUV machine, and the EUV machine costs roughly what a 777 costs, so it's around 150 million euros. And they sell these to companies like TSMC, in Taiwan or Samsung in Korea, who are the foundries that make these semiconductors. And so what we've what you can work out quite quickly is that all human progress from here relies on just these handful of companies who can continue this shrink around accelerating compute power or find a way to stack it. And, and what's amazing is it's got so hard and so expensive that these companies are now effectively monopolies. Um, and so that's why you want to own some Taiwan semiconductor and you want to own some ASML in Holland. Uh, and they've been big positions in our fund since day one because we just see them as the ultimate weapons manufacturers in the war that that is likely to continue, which is this war around digitalization that we just spent half an hour talking about. That is why I love this podcast and investing because we've just heard about the most important company in the world that no one's ever <laughs> heard of. <laughs> love that, love that. So, Nick, um, unfortunately, we have uh, run out of time, but um, 
you know, we've covered a fair bit of ground in the last sort of 25 minutes or so. As always, very much appreciate your time. And uh, as the year progresses, I'm sure we will uh, touch base again to get your thoughts on, on A, if you're back in Facebook or not, and B, where the other important companies that we're not uh, hearing about are. Um, so just a reminder as well that uh, Nick and uh, Munro Partners have the Munro Global Growth Fund uh, ETF, which is AMET, the ASX tickets. M-A-E-T. What did I say? M-A-E-T. <laughs> Sorry, M-A-E-T. So, mate, 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 mate. Is, mate is the way to get exposure to Dutch lithography. There we go. Um, and, and, and everything else in between. There we go. So, Nick, uh, yeah, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Nick. So, equity mates, that brings us to the end of this episode. Hope you enjoyed that with uh, Nick Griffin. Always a pleasure to talk to him. Just a reminder that Equity Mates doesn't stop when you have finished this podcast. You can email us at contact at equitymates.com. You can follow us on socials. Visit uh, equitymates.com as well. If you are stuck for podcast recommendations, remember we do have Get Started Investing for the beginner buffets and also uh, our two latest podcasts, Comedian v Economist and Meet Pay Love, both of which uh, we're very excited about and are going very well. So head over and uh, subscribe to those if you're not. But Ren, always a pleasure to uh, chat stocks and we will uh, chat next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. 